You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Luke 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these familiar verses, Father, that uh, many of us have have read many, many times and uh, have I've preached on these verses, Lord, as you know, many times. And Father, we pray that, Lord, you would help us um, not be blinded by our familiarity with these verses, but that, Father, you would give us fresh insights into what is really going on here, Father. And of course, we can't cover it all this morning, but, Father, we do uh, look to you, Father, for that which you will bring to us and Father, we pray that, Lord, you'd be pleased to open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to your truth, that, Father, you would speak to us in a way, Father, that changes us and changes us eternally. So, Father, we look to you for these things. We ask for these things. And, Father, we thank you for these things in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. This morning, as you notice, we're skipping ahead in Luke's gospel, and it seems that that's fitting given it's Christmas Eve. Um, I hope you don't mind. Uh, It seemed that we should skip ahead, and um, originally I intended to look at verses 1 through 20, but as I began to ponder on these, I I hardly got past verse 1, so I thought, um, let's not try to go so far. Uh, We'll just go verses 1 through 7. And one of the things I got so completely lost and caught up in is the absolute sovereignty and providence that we see in these verses. Uh, We see it everywhere in Scripture, but it is so clear here uh, in in such a breathtaking uh, way. And um, I, I think that it would be good for us to glean over that this morning. Um, because sometimes times can be hard. We can look around and see the trajectory of culture and the trajectory of things that are going on all around us. And we might even say to ourselves, we can't imagine things getting any any harder. And here um, we're going to find affinity with this in our in our text when we can when things look bleak and we can't imagine things getting any worse god is right there accomplishing his good and his good and faithful plans um everything is just going according to plan so with that having served as our introduction 
Let's take a look here. Our text begins in the way that we've been accustomed to Luke beginning. Uh, it begins with a time frame. You see there in those days. And I say we're accustomed to it because Luke has continually laid out a time frame for us as we've been studying, has he? I mean, if you turn back to verse five in chapter one, if you will, uh, there we spent some time looking at it. Luke says in the days of Herod, you see there and you remember, I, I've called to your attention that there's a time frame there. And if you skip down to verse 26, uh, we, we find the words in the sixth month. And of course, that was the sixth month of of Elizabeth's pregnancy, again, establishing a time frame. And then in verse 39, in those days, another uh, time frame being established. And I've said on several occasions throughout this Advent season that Luke is vigorously showing us that what he is reporting, what he is writing uh, is um, not one of those once in a upon a time in a far, far away land kind of stories. But um, it, it, nor is it allegory that he is putting forth here. Um, this is not a parable that's being put forth here. Uh, it's not mythology that's being put forth here. But it is real uh, live uh, history that's being put forth here. Now, some of us are into history. Some of us like history. And I wouldn't really need to do what I'm about to do for you because you got it. You like history. Um, others, man, when history comes up, you're just a yawning and uh, you're about to go to sleep. And um, okay, I, I would really like for us to get inside of this. So uh, I, I, I think this would be a good time for us to pull off the road and and see if we can just get inside of this of this real life history that we have here. Some of you know that I've always had a fascination with electronics. Um, in fact, I, I've made a, a good portion of my living over the years in, in the field of electronics. And um, recently I've been studying automotive electronics, as many of you know. And there's this a device that enables you to watch uh, these electronic signals and and you've all seen them. Everyone in this room has seen one of those things because you see them when you go into the hospital. You know, the heart monitor, it's got the little green line that jumps up and down. Um, our hearts actually beat uh, because of this little electrical signal that is sent to our hearts. And and that, that device where you see that little green line or blue line, um, you know, the, 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 the nurses, they, they put a transducer on your chest and they hook these leads up to that device. And, and just before your, your heart beats, there's this signal that, uh, that comes. It, it, it rises vertically. That's a, that's a voltage rising vertically. And then it collapses. Uh, then it rises again and it collapses. And of course, in your cars, you've got all this stuff jumping and collapsing around. And, and I've really been struck. I've been reading a lot of material written by engineers who design the circuits that are in your car. And I've really found something very interesting. Again, it's, it's, it's fun to read that stuff. You know, I studied electronics way back in the 80s, you know. And I didn't look at electronics through the lenses of theology back then. 
Now when I study everything, I'm studying everything through the lenses of theology. And there's something that is quite interesting about how these engineers converse with one another. They talk about this electrical signal, the voltage rising and falling and accomplishing things. And what this voltage rising and following, what it accomplishes, they call by a name. Do you know what the name is? They call it an event. An event. Now, why would they call it an event? Because when you're in the hospital and you're watching the monitor jump up and down, that vertical movement is the voltage that your body is producing and sending to your heart. That vertical movement, it reaches a certain peak and then it collapses. Then it reaches another peak and it collapses. But it doesn't go straight up and down, does it? As it goes up, it's moving across. And as it falls, it continues to move across. And then it goes up again, moving across. And falling, moving across. The vertical movement is the voltage. I'm sure that Alex could tell you how that's viewed. Uh, I don't think the nurse says, well, you got so many volts here going on, you know. They probably don't talk about it that way. They probably have other words for it. But that's what's happening. The voltage is rising and collapsing. But as it moves from left to right, that's a time frame. That's measuring the time. That's measuring the duration of this living event that is taking place. In this room right now, there are all these green lines going up and down. Some of them are going faster. I don't doubt some of them are going higher. Some of them are occurring uh, with less duration. Others are occurring with more duration. But God is governing and causing and controlling every one of these events. I can really get lost in that. How about you? Now, what we see in a micro level concerning our hearts and what we may see in a micro level concerning our cars, we see in a macro level in our text this morning. Luke writes, in those days. In those days. Okay, what days? Well, these are the days of Caesar Augustus. These are the days of the great Roman Empire. And this is not accidental. Yeah, no, no, no. This is not accidental. Uh, the prophecy of Daniel makes this abundantly clear. And some of you may recall, it's been a few years back, but we studied Daniel, didn't we? It's been a while ago. Uh, but you'll recall that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar comes out of the north, down south, and he sacks Judea, doesn't he? He sacks Jerusalem. And he carries off Daniel and his three friends off to Babylon. And Daniel and his three friends are, are immediately noticed for their exceptional aptitude. And they're placed in King, into King Nebuchadnezzar's academy where they're educated in the ways of Babylon. And shortly thereafter, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And the dream alarms him so much so that he calls on his wise men, his, his exceptional human resources, if you will. And he orders that they tell him what his dream was and what the interpretation 
of that dream is. And if they fail to do this, they're going to be tore apart limb from limb. Now, (laughs) if you go into work next week and the boss seems unreasonable, be thankful he's not Nebuchadnezzar. Because this would be a real bad day in the office, wouldn't it? Hey, I had this dream the other night and you're going to tell me what it is and you're going to tell me what it means or you're going to be tore apart limb from limb. Yeah, of course they can't do that. Who can do that? Nobody can do that. And things are looking really, really bad until finally Daniel comes forward. If you'll turn back, keep your place in Luke chapter one or chapter two and turn back to page 738, back to Daniel chapter two. If you're using the... the church's Bible, it's page 738. Back to Daniel chapter 2. The first thing that Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar as he comes forward to give the interpretation or the, the, the give the dream or first, he, he says in chapter 2 verse 27, He says, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. I read that verse and I think, well, doy, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, you shouldn't be surprised by that. Um, Really, I mean, who could do such a thing? But look at verse 28. Daniel says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the what? The latter days. Then Daniel proceeds to describe the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Some of you know it. Some of you know it well. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And in his dream, he sees this great image. And there's this head of gold. And there's a chest and arms of silver. And there's a torso and and thighs of bronze. And then there are legs that are of iron and feet that are partly of iron and partly of clay. And then there's this stone that's cut out of the mountain, not by any human hand. But the stone comes and it dashes the the image all to pieces. Um, So Daniel successfully describes in great detail King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And um, having told him his dream, Daniel then proceeds to tell him the interpretation. If you look down to verse 37, that's quite interesting. He says, you, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory. Do you hear that? The kingdom, the power, the might and the glory. What does that sound like? That sounds like something that's really familiar, doesn't it? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. You ever heard that before? Look at verse 37 again. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory. God's power and might and glory are inherent to him. Everyone else's is derived from him. And that's what Daniel was telling the king. Verse 38, and to whose hand 
he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Now, what Daniel is making really clear here to King Nebuchadnezzar is that King, you did not pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You didn't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Uh, This rising to power has been given to you by the Father above. And furthermore, Daniel informs the king that the meaning of the image uh, speaks of kingdoms. And we're told that the the head of gold is uh, Babylon, represented by Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, after... Uh, Babylon, we're told that another kingdom will come after Babylon and after that kingdom, still yet another kingdom will come after it. And then a mysterious stone comes and crushes all of the kingdoms and uh, this kingdom will be everlasting. Now, the traditional interpretation of these kingdoms is that obviously the head of gold is Babylon, followed by Medo-Persia, which is the silver arms and silver chest and then uh, followed by that is is the the Greek Empire, um, which would be the the torso of bronze, the thighs of bronze, and then the Roman Empire, which would be the the uh, legs of iron and the the feet that are partly iron and partly clay. And what about the stone that's cut out of the mountain? Uh, what about that? Um, well, that stone is none other than Christ Jesus. And that's the traditional interpretation of these kingdoms. And it's the, it's the interpretation that, that I certainly embrace. And I think that most of you would embrace. All right. At this point, some of you are probably wondering, what has this got to do with Luke chapter 2 and verse 1? What in the world has this got to do with Luke chapter 2, verse 1? Well, look there with me again. What do we read? We read in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Who is Caesar Augustus? Well, he's the most powerful man alive at that time by far. For sure. He's emperor of what? Rome. The fourth kingdom prophesied centuries earlier in Daniel. And there's a principle here that is so awe striking. It's a principle here that really should fill our hearts and minds with awe. And the principle is really this. What God is governing and causing at a micro level with the beating of each of our hearts. He's just as busy in terms of world events in terms of establishing world rulers, in terms of establishing kingdoms, in terms of establishing all of this, he's just as just as busy, just as intricately uh, uh, involved in all of that. Uh, and that, that really should take our breath away. Uh, it should absolutely take our breath away, but it also should be comforting to us as well. And... Why do I say it should be comforting to us? Well, you know, let, let's think about it for a moment. Um, 
What kind of shape is Israel in at the time that Luke is making reference here? At the time of the birth of Jesus, what kind of shape is Israel in at that point in time? Uh, In terms of a national political identity, they're not even on the map, are they? And why why is that important? Well, they've been promised a king. The people of God have been promised a king. A king who would dwell on David's throne and would dwell there forever. But let's ask a question. Where's David's throne? Now, someone might wish to make a wisecrack and say, well, I suppose it's in David's palace and that where David's throne would be would be in his palace. Okay, that's funny enough. Where's David's palace? Where's the palace? There ain't no palace. If there ain't no palace, there ain't no throne. Not visible to the eyes. Where's David's kingdom? Judging by all outward appearances, it appears that it's really not in existence at all. You see, this is a dangerous situation for the people of God. It's a dangerous scenario. These are dangerous circumstances. Why do I say they're dangerous circumstances? Because to look around outside, what's it look like? You know, Calvin used to use the word faint a lot. Of course, he didn't use the English word faint. He's writing in French and Latin. He's using the French and Latin equivalency of the word faint. But he was fond of using the word faint. And when I say he was fond of using the word faint, I'm not saying that I thought that I think that he's especially fond of the word faint. But what I am saying is that he understood the dangers and had a pastoral concern always for outward appearances and how we can faint in our belief as a result of them. So he would speak quite often. Um, If our text tells us anything, it tells us that things are not what they seem on the outside. It tells us that things are not what they seem on the outside. The father gave Daniel the details of what he would do on the political front, the world front, the world landscape. And the father gave details concerning the promised king, that the king would sit on David's throne. And he also gave a promise as to where the king would be born. Where would the king be born? Well, Micah 5 and verse 2 but to you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Now, if you only know one verse from Micah, it's probably this verse. How many verses do you know from Micah? Rattle them off. If you only know one, it probably comes from here. Why? Because we hear this at Christmas time, don't we? And it's understood that the king would be born in Bethlehem. I mean, even Herod's theologians understood that, didn't they? When the, when the Magi come into Jerusalem and they're asking these questions about where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Does Herod like that language? Uh-uh. He don't like this language of a, a king being born um, a king of the Jews. Uh, this town isn't big enough for two kings in Herod's mind. And one of them has to go. 
So he calls his theologians and he says, where would this king be born? And they say, rightly, he'd be born in Bethlehem. So they understood this. And if we have studied now from our studies in in Luke, um, we realize that the king is about to be born, don't we? I mean, at this point in time, by the time we get to chapter two, Elizabeth has had John, correct? John the Baptist has been born and Mary is about to give birth. But where is Mary and Joseph? They're in Nazareth. That is something like 85, 90 miles away from Bethlehem. And um, how is Jesus going to be born in Bethlehem if they're 90 miles away? How, is, how are the scriptures going to be fulfilled? In other words, how's the father going to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem? How's he going to do it? Well, our text answers that question with one single word. It's the word decree. Decree. Um, In those days, if you look at Luke chapter 2, verse 1, in those days a what went out? A decree. Now, Now someone say, well, wait a second. The father didn't issue a decree. Caesar did, right? Before we answer that question, listen to Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water In the hand of the Lord, he turns it wherever he will. I'll read it again. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Things are not what they appear to be at all. Some of you know that I'm quite fond of J.C. Ryle and he wrote commentaries on the gospel. He wrote a commentary on Luke. I, I should have looked it up, but I'm thinking it's in probably like eight. Memory serves me right. 1879, maybe 1889, something like that. I believe if memory serves me correctly, J.C. Ryle died in 1900. Um, he was probably in his 80s, if memory serves me correctly. So, But at any rate, listen to his comment on these verses. He says... Quote, let us ever rest our souls on the thought that times are in God's hand. Times are in God's hand. It doesn't look like the times are in God's hands when we look at what is going on all around us. I mean, but things are not what they appear to be. J.C. Rowell continues, quote, he knows the best season for sending help to his church and new light to the world let us be aware of giving way to over-anxiety. You see that pastoral concern that J.C. Rao has as he writes in the late 1800s? Over-anxiety. Calvin would have used the word faint. Let us be aware of giving way to over-anxiety about the course of events around us. And you know, let me speak to that again. Calvin writing in the 1500s is concerned about us fainting. J.C. Ryle in the 1800s is concerned about us fainting. I'm concerned, not that I'm comparing myself to those giants, but I'm concerned about us fainting in 2017. Especially if we spend so much time looking around 
Back to J.C. Ryle. Let us beware of giving way to over-anxiety about the course of events around us, as if we knew better than the King of Kings what time relief should come. I, I wonder, you know, sometimes when I, I, I put some notes here, I, I write, I wonder how much of our prayer sounds more like advice than petition. Where instead of like pouring our hearts out to God, we kind of give him advice as to how he should govern the universe and how he should like move his great plan of redemption. Especially when we look around at what's going on. I mean, back to Mary and Joseph, they're in Nazareth. God has got to get them to Bethlehem to fulfill his promise. How's he going to get them there? Well, um, he's, it's going to be really simple. He's just going to have the most powerful man in the world issue a decree. He's just going to have the most powerful man issue a census. That's all. Why would this powerful man issue a census? There's two reasons. One is military and the other one is taxes. That's two reasons why he is going to do it. It's no problem for God. The average person could never get an audience with Caesar and he would be terrified to do so if he did. No, God's just going to have him issue a decree. Here, J.C. Ryle again. Quote, the overruling providence of God appears in this simple fact. He orders all things in heaven and earth. He turns the hearts of kings wherever he will. He overruled the time when Augustus decreed the taxing. He directed the enforcement of the decree in such a way that Mary has to be at Bethlehem when the time came for the baby to be born. <laughs> Listen to this. Little did the haughty Roman emperor and his officer Quirinius think that they were only instruments in the hand of God and were only carrying out the eternal purposes of the king of kings. Little did they think that they were helping to lay the foundation of a kingdom before which the empires of this world would all go down one day and Roman idolatry pass away. Little did they know they were helping to lay the foundation of a kingdom, a kingdom that would tatter all of the kingdoms of this world. Look with me back to Luke 2. Now, if we're going to get to verse 7, I'm going to have to step on it because we haven't got off verse 1 yet, have we? Let's step on it. First, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and following. Those, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each in his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. I'm skipping a lot of stuff here. But look at verse 6. While they were there, the time came for Mary to give birth. She's now in Bethlehem. Verse 7. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Things are definitely not what they appear to be. I mean, let's think about it. Here's this dirt poor couple. They're making their way into Bethlehem. The population of Bethlehem has swelled way beyond its normal capacity because of the census. There's nowhere for them to stay. And Mary and Joseph arrive obviously late, undoubtedly because of her pregnancy. As I've already said, the journey is long. Probably something like, depending on which way she went, probably something like 85, 90 miles. Ladies, um, imagine being near term 
and traveling 85 miles, probably on the back of a donkey. Yikes. Forgive me if I'm a little bit late. But the father sustains her. You remember the little green thing? It's bouncing up and down, moving its way across the screen. He sustains her, he leads her, he guides her, he makes her way into Bethlehem as promised, and she gives birth to Jesus, and the stone that would crush all of the kingdoms has arrived. He's arrived. There's no palace. There's no Christmas tree. There's no Christmas lights. There's no laser lights. There's no 94.5 playing Christmas music 24-7. There's no pyrotechnics. (laughs) I think for the most part, no one even has a clue. Nobody knows. The king is here. Nobody knows. No one even notices. Imagine if every heart that is beating in this world were to suddenly appear before us and we could see all those, those green lights, all those green lines bouncing up and down and up and down, all of these life events taking place, moving their way from left to right across the, across the heart monitor. Imagine if they were all to appear before us and we had the ability to see each one of them, all these life events. The one who is causing and sustaining and governing each one of those is outside a crowded Bethlehem inn lying in a feed trough. The one who issued the decree that we all come to Bethlehem, you know, the decree that everybody's probably whining and complaining about, Because my guess is as everyone's making their way to their respective hometowns, they're crying and they're whining. And they're saying, what's he up to? Why is he making us go there? He's going to tax us. No, he's not. He's got another battle coming up and he's going to draft us. Well, I'm tired of this. Blah, blah, blah. You can hear it, can't you? But who's really behind it? It's the one that's lying in the manger. That nobody can see, nobody, nobody even knows he's there. Things are not what they appear to be, are they? They're not even close to what they appear to be. I don't know what changes will take place in 2018. I know a lot of changes took place in 2017. Changes that I think many of us couldn't even imagine just a decade ago. I mean, some of us, I look around the room and I can see that, I mean, some of us, I mean, you remember Y2K? Have we forgotten about that? It's like, you know, the computers, you know, they're going to blow us all up, you know, as soon as the, they, they're, they're not able to deal with the rolling over to the year 2000. Some of us go back to the 80s and there were songs written about, about that kind of thing, you know. Prince had a song, you know, uh, partying like it's 1999. You know, if really, if in the January 1st, 2000, you're going to die and you have no faith, what's Paul say? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. We're going to party like it's 1999. 
That song was popular in the 80s. I remember that song on the radio all the time. Some of us can think back and think back of the changes that have taken place. Um, We talk about it all the time. We think about it all the time. I don't know what changes are going to take place in 2018, but what I do know is things are not what they appear to be. They're not what they appear to be. Any more than what they were, what they appeared to be on the outside that morning, that day, whether it was morning or day or evening, that the sovereign one stepped into time, space, and history. Question Do you recognize him? If we had lived during the first century and we had been of the house and lineage of David or if we had been in the house and lineage of any of the families from Bethlehem, we would have found ourselves, we would also be traveling to Bethlehem. We may have traveled past the inn where this dirt poor couple are gathered around this feeding trough. And we wouldn't have recognized the sovereign one any more than anyone else would have recognized the sovereign one. But this child would live that perfect life. He would go to the cross with that perfect life. He would offer that perfect life on the cross at the altar of his very own justice for the sins of those whom he came to save. And then he would dispatch his Holy Spirit to open up eyes and to open up ears and to open up hearts so that he could be recognized. And the question that I have is, do you recognize him this morning? Yesterday, Tammy needed to go get some things like everybody else needs to go get some things. And we did what everyone else does. We tried to avoid Walmart. Now, we couldn't avoid the plaza. We um, we went to the Dollar General, which is next to the Walmart there. And... Um, as we were pulling up, we were we were we come off of eleven. We're sitting in the the intersection there. We went straight up over the hill, and there you see the cars all parked. And it was just as we crested the hill. I had one of those moments where the Lord just really, really moved me in a way that was just wonderful. I haven't yet shook it off and I don't want to shake it off I just felt that sense of awe that things are not what they appear to be for the most part what is everybody doing you know a a service like this would get in the way of what everybody is doing. But they're doing it. What do I mean they're doing it? Tomorrow's December 25th. What should that have to do with a bunch of people that don't really believe in Jesus? You see all this activity 
in everything that's taking place. It is taking place, isn't it? Does anybody have to go to Walmart today? Most of you are shaking your heads no. You see all that activity. You see, God will be glorified. He will be glorified one way or the other, won't he? I'm not saying that all of that is glorifying to him. Actually, it's the opposite. What I am saying is that even though, did, did, did Quirinius have any idea he was accomplishing the work of the Lord as he issued his decree? And he's following the boss's orders, right? Who's the boss? Caesar, right? Actually, no. See, these emperors, you know, whether they be presidents, whether they be emperors or senators or whatever, you know what's common amongst most of them is they think they put themselves where they are. But they didn't. Things aren't what they appear to be, are they? Every knee will one day bow. To he who has been born king of the Jews. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, and praise you that, Father, in the midst of the hustle and bustle of what we call the Christmas season, Father, that is so misaligned that nevertheless, Father, there is a hustle and bustle, and it speaks, oh, Father, to, uh, to an event that can't be denied. Father, I don't know if it was December 25th when Jesus, when you stepped into the into time, space, and history in the person of Jesus Christ. I don't know if it was December 25th or not, but what we do know is this is the day that the church has historically set aside for the most part to celebrate the incarnation. And Father, it is so interesting that there's activity whether it is acknowledged as uh, as having anything to do with you or not, there's activity. Well, Father, as we look around, help us, so Father, to be uh, comforted by the fact that things are not what they seem, that in the back of all of this, all of heaven is praising, all of heaven is rejoicing, and that, Father, you've opened up eyes, you've opened up our eyes, that we may take part in that, Father. And help us, O Father, to put our eyes on that. Help us, O Father, to take our eyes off what's going on around us, where it's attempting the world, the flesh, the evil one is attempting to distort the most beautiful thing, one of the most beautiful things that ever took place. Help us, O Father, that we don't faint in our belief, but help us, O Father, that we may be able to look and we may be able to see what's behind all of this, Father that our hearts may be filled with awe and that we may worship you afresh this morning and this evening and tomorrow throughout the day. So, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.